0: We now turn in God's Word to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, and the text is verse 20. This is a messianic psalm. That means that this is a psalm about the Christ, Jesus. But it's also a psalm written by David. And so... Uh, We see both these realities in this psalm. Sometimes we especially hear the voice of Jesus, and at other times we do hear the voice of David. It is the voice of David, but it's also the voice of Jesus. Psalm 69 To the chief musician upon Shoshanim, a psalm of David. Save me, O God. For the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gates speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And hide not thy face from thy servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity! unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this, the humble shall understand this, and be glad. And your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor, and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion, and will build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 20. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can read of the great sufferings that Jesus went through as he was led to the cross of Calvary. We can see, as it were, as we read through those accounts, we can see Jesus walking from the upper room through Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we can see Jesus then being led in chains from the Garden of Gethsemane to the house of the high priest back in Jerusalem. And we can see Jesus being brought before Pilate. We can see Jesus being mocked and ridiculed we can see Jesus being whipped and spat upon and then forced outside the city to the hill Golgotha, carrying that cross beam across his shoulders. And we know this history well. And we are blessed by a careful study of these different passages of Scripture. But here, in Psalm 69, we have something that is a little different. Because here in Psalm 69, we have a look at Jesus not from the outside... As in the third person, seeing him move and move and and go here and suffer this. But here we see Jesus as it were from the inside. We get an inside look, a little glimpse into the mind and the heart of Jesus. And we get a glimpse into the anguish of soul that Jesus was experiencing as he endured all those sufferings that led him to the cross. Psalm 69 is a thoroughly messianic psalm. In the New Testament, this psalm is quoted no less than seven times with direct reference to Jesus. And in Romans 15 verse 3, it explicitly states that all these reproaches that we read of in this psalm are the reproaches of Jesus. And Psalm 69 is all about reproaches. The word reproaches is used six times in this psalm. And in the text that we have for our Consideration this evening, we have a very striking statement. Jesus says, reproach hath broken my heart. Seems very fitting in our series on glimpses into the heart of Jesus that we should look at this text. And it's especially fitting as we get closer to Good Friday to consider a passage like this. We want to see Jesus in this passage tonight and what this passage reveals about Jesus and then we also want to see the great comfort that is found for God's people in a passage like this. We take as our theme a heart broken by reproach. This is another glimpse into the heart of Jesus, a heart broken by reproach. And we look at three things. First, the heartbreaking reproaches. Second, the reason, the twofold reason for these reproaches. And then third, the great comfort for God's people. Reproach hath broken my heart. The first thing we need to do is ask and then answer the question, what are reproaches? Children, do you know what a reproach is? A reproach is an insult. Insults. Have broken my heart. Or mockery. Or maybe when someone teases you and makes fun of you and shames you. That's reproach. Rejection by others. That's reproach. Shame heaped upon you by others. That's reproach. To reproach someone is to look upon someone with disgust. Treat that person as an object of contempt and attack them, isolate them, and hurt them. And you can do that directly to the person in front of them, or you can even do that in the privacy of your own home. You can reproach someone to their face, or you can reproach them in the secrecy of your own heart. And this is something that comes from hell, beloved. We'll see that in the course of this sermon. And it's probably something that we've all experienced. Rejection, shame, insult, hatred, contempt, mockery. Now when you look at Jesus, what you see is that Jesus' entire life was defined by reproach. As Isaiah 53 puts it, with those well-known words, he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's talking about reproach. And Jesus' entire life was defined by reproach, right? We dwell on that even at Christmas time. No room for him in the inn. He has to flee to Egypt. Because he's already rejected at the time of his birth. Just think now of all the mockery and insults that Jesus did receive through his life. Jesus was and is the great prophet of the Lord. And yet when Jesus taught the people, what did the people do? They hurled insults at him and called him names. Children, you remember some of the names that they called Jesus? Remember, they called him a Samaritan. Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And you remember what a Samaritan was in the eyes of the Jews. The Jews hated and despised the Samaritans. And so they called Jesus a Samaritan. That's a word full of reproach. They called him a Samaritan and then they said that he had a devil. And today people might use more vulgar language. That's how the leaders spoke, using vulgar language against Jesus. They reproached him for being a Nazarene. Right? From Galilee. He's a Galilean. Search and look, they said, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And when he preached, he was constantly met with mockery and hatred. He preached the gospel to the poor, delivery to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and healing to the brokenhearted. And they said to him, Physician, heal thyself. They called him a fool, they called him a blasphemer, and that's what Jesus constantly faced as he preached the gospel to the people. He was reproached. But it wasn't just his teaching, when it came to his mighty works, they also reproached him for his mighty works. He healed men on the Sabbath day, and they accused him of breaking the law of Moses. When he sought to save that which was lost, they said that he was the companion of publicans and sinners. And then when, in distinction from John, he came eating and drinking, they said that he was a glutton and a wine-bibber. When he cast out devils, they said it was because he was in league with Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And then when he raised up Lazarus from the dead, they met privately and determined that he was a threat to the nation and ought to be put to death. With every work that he did, he was met with opposition. This reproach upon Jesus was a radical reproach. No work that Jesus ever did was approved by mere men. Invariably, he was opposed in all that he did and all that he did. Because as we know, by nature, man is at enmity against God. And there is Jesus, God in the flesh, and all mankind is at enmity against him by nature. That's how he lived. No man cared for his soul. No man cared for his soul except those in whom Jesus himself first put that care. No man cared for his soul. But it wasn't just his teaching, it wasn't just his mighty works, it was his person. His very person was reproached, he was despised and rejected of men. That was the case throughout his whole life. When Jesus called out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders, you know how those Jewish leaders responded. They said, we be not born of fornication. They had insults ready for him on the tip of their tongue. What does Psalm 69 say? We read that when Jesus wept, the people mocked him for his tears. When he walked past the city gates, the elders of the city, the office bearers in the church were hurling insults at him. Psalm 69 verse 12 says that he was the song of the drunkards. You can imagine Jesus walking home late at night. And what was home? We can't, we can't really say because the Son of God has no place where to lay his head. But you can imagine when he's walking home after a long day, maybe of teaching and healing the sick and receiving insults throughout the day, what did he hear on his way home? He could hear from the pubs and from the bars of Jerusalem little ditties being sung about him. Mocking him, heaping all kinds of insults on him. That was his life, beloved. He was unwanted in the earth. And then when you get closer to the end of his life, approaching Good Friday, the mockery, the insults seem to amplify in a sort of crescendo of reproaches. So that it's one thing after another, after another. It's Judas Iscariot there in the upper room looking down upon Jesus with eyes full of reproach and bitter hatred as Jesus washes his dirty sweaty feet. It's the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane being offended at Jesus for not putting up a fight against the band of soldiers and all running away being offended at him and full of reproach for him. It's the Jewish leaders slapping him across the face and spitting on him. It's Peter within earshot of Jesus warming his hands by the fire in the middle of the night and then with much cursing and swearing telling the people that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. It's Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? It's King Herod with his men of war having their way with Jesus, mocking him, setting him in a gorgeous robe and with thorough disgust for the man sending him back to Pilate. It's the crowds of people crowds of people in the church chanting, crucify him, crucify him. It's the Roman soldiers pressing down that crown of thorns upon his head, beating him with that pretend scepter across the face, blindfolding him, smacking him across the face, and then telling him to prophesy and to reveal who it was that smacked him. It's Pilate whipping Jesus nearly to death so that Jesus' entire back is ripped open, blood is splattered everywhere, and then he says to the people, Behold your king. It's the people walking by the cross, wagging their heads and saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. He saved others, himself he cannot save. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him. Seeing he delighteth in him. It's all the people gawking at his naked body and laughing him to scorn. It's the people shooting out the lip at him, making obscene gestures at at him as he hangs on the cross. It's even the placard that's nailed above his head declaring, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. A placard that is written with contempt and jest. No one has compassion. He is despised and rejected of men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And this was his entire life. And what does the text say? The text says, it broke his heart. It broke The heart of Jesus. Reproach. Hath broken my heart. Oh yes. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words can never wound me. But your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knew better than that beloved. He knows better than that. Reproach. Reproach hath broken my heart. And the word broken there means to break in pieces. It means to crush or to shatter. Reproach has shattered my heart. My heart is crushed by all these things. You know the feeling. You know the feeling. People pulling a funny face at you, making obscene gestures at you, Hating you without a cause, bullying you. Jesus was a man just like us, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are. He felt the loneliness, beloved. He felt the overwhelming grief and sorrow of being hated by everyone, being all alone. What does the text say? I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. That was the reality, beloved. That was the world Jesus came down into. He came into a world where every man, woman, and child, apart from Jesus' own sweet operations within them, where every man, woman, and child was at bitter enmity against Him. There was no one. And as a man, you can imagine how heartbreaking that must have been. It's not good for the man to be alone. And Jesus was entirely alone. Alone against a world of insults, contempt, hatred, and mockery. And we read, it broke his heart. And why was his heart broken? Well, because Jesus was tender-hearted. He was compassionate. He was full of love. He did not numb himself to everything that he suffered. He felt it fully. He felt it wholly. He felt the shame. He is the office bearer who understands perfectly well what deep shame, contempt, and rejection feels like. And he never minimized it. That's why his own heart was broken by it. And why was his heart broken? Because all these attacks were attacks on Jesus' very person. These weren't just attacks on his job performance or something like that, they weren't even just attacks on his body. These were attacks on his very soul, his very person. And you know, beloved, that's the power of words. A slap in the face, a punch in the face is one thing, but words aimed at the heart, words spoken with poison and hatred and contempt, that's a completely different matter. Jesus understands that too, beloved. He understands the evil of it. Men often don't understand it, but Jesus, the man of God, understands it perfectly. These words were an attack on Jesus' dignity. These words were an attack on what On the essence of what Jesus counted precious about himself. He is wisdom come in the flesh. And they called him a fool. He is truth come in the flesh. And they called him a liar. He is the holy one. Perfectly dedicated to God. And they called him a sinner. Worthy to be crucified. He was the Christ. And they basically call him the antichrist. And for Jesus, all these attacks were attacks against his very identity as the Christ. He's the Savior, the Son of God, the Anointed of the Father, come into the world to redeem Israel and establish the kingdom of God forever. And the people hated him exactly for who he was. But beloved, there's another reason all these reproaches broke the heart of Jesus. Not just that. Now I want to take our thoughts in a slightly different direction, especially because we're using the sermon to prepare for Good Friday. All these reproaches broke the heart of Jesus because in a very real sense, all these reproaches were from God Himself. Now I don't want you to misunderstand this. Yes, these were the reproaches of men, and yes, these were the reproaches of Satan. Satan was in all these things, mocking and attacking Jesus. But I also want to say very reverently and with a proper understanding that all of these reproaches heaped upon Jesus were the reproaches of God. Because what we need to remember, beloved, is this Jesus was bearing our curse, and Jesus was serving as our substitute. And bearing our curse, Jesus was also enduring our hell for us. And this is exactly part of what hell is. This is part of what hell is. All this mockery, all these insults, all these reproaches hurled against Jesus is hell. It's the mockery of hell. And I mean that this way. It's part of the sufferings we deserve that Jesus must bear for us. This is part of what hell is. No love, no compassion, no tenderness. All those insults hurled at Jesus as he's led to the cross. All those wagging heads, all those taunting jeers. Oh, that's men all right. That's men doing their wicked deeds, but that's also God. It's God in his own sovereign power using these evil men to cause Jesus to experience the sorrows and horrors of hell. It's God bringing upon Jesus that unspeakable humiliation of body and soul that your sins and my sins deserved. Man in his sin tried to exalt himself against God and now man must experience utter humiliation as part of his judgment and all these reproaches are part of that humiliation. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. And those wounds are not just the wounds he suffered on his back or the crown of thorns on his head, but those are the wounds that were afflicted on his heart. The wounds of all these reproaches hurled against Jesus. You see, the sufferings of hell have so many dimensions to them. And this is one of the main sufferings of hell, being held in utter contempt and covered in utter shame. That's what this was for Jesus. It was shame. All this suffering was shame. Shame, shame heaped upon him for who he was as the Christ, as the head of his people, bearing their shame, bearing their reproach. I can put it this way. As Jesus goes through life, These insults and these reproaches increase and increase until, as Jesus is led to the cross, there is simply no break. There is simply no relenting in these insults. And that's God doing that, beloved. That's God narrowing the way for Jesus. That's God bringing Jesus' sufferings to their climax. God is leaving no room for Jesus to rest in any way whatsoever. And what's so devastating about all of this? That Jesus himself knows that this is God. Jesus himself detects the hand of God in all this mockery. This is God's way for me. I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And comforters, but I found none. And it even came to the point, beloved, where Jesus looked up and he brought his gaze towards heaven And there was no pity and no comfort to be found from that direction either. For in the end, he was even forsaken of his heavenly Father. And when you have all those bitter words of hatred and reproach hurled at you, and then you look for God, and God himself has forsaken you, then your heart is shattered. Then your heart is utterly crushed. Then, as the Lord's Lord's Supper form puts it, then you feel the deepest reproach and pains of hell. Just to give you a better understanding of what I mean with all this, think of King David. When Shimei was cursing David, and he was heaping all kinds of reproaches on David. You remember what David said? David said, Let Shimei curse. For the Lord hath said unto Shimei, curse David. And just so it is with Jesus. Let the people reproach me. For my own heavenly Father has said unto them, curse Jesus. For this path of bearing the curse is the path I must walk. Do you understand how heartbreaking this was for Jesus? And then before we move on, let me add even one more thing. All these reproaches, all this contempt, all this hatred that is poured out upon Jesus, all these reproaches were your reproaches and my reproaches in this sense. They were the reproaches that we ourselves were heaping upon Jesus. Because you and I were there, beloved. You and I were there wagging our heads as we walked beside the cross. You and I were there chanting with the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. You and I were there with Peter, warming our hands and with cursing and swearing, denying Jesus. You and I were there with the disciples when we were, they were offended at him. Because by nature, as mere men, apart from grace, This is who we are. This is where we are. We belong with that profane, scorning, contemptuous, God-reviling world that heaped their reproach on Christ. That was us. That was us. Shooting out the lip, making obscene gestures, grabbing our beers, and and singing a little ditty, mocking the Christ. Because it's only the grace of God that has made any difference, beloved. Beloved. And maybe there, too, we can see how all these things must have broken the heart of Jesus. The very ones he came to save. His brothers and sisters were the ones reproaching him. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Heartbreaking. Reproaches, But now we must ask, why? Why all these reproaches? I've touched upon it a little bit, but I want to put it clearly before you. I've got two reasons that explain all these reproaches. First, the reason is, we'll start here. Jesus endured all these reproaches because Jesus is God. And that idea is captured clearly in verse 9. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Why do men reproach the name of Jesus and insult him and and wag their heads at him? Because Jesus represents God. And Jesus represents the cause of God. When Jesus was in heaven, all the reproaches of evil men were against God aimed at God, but when Jesus came down to earth, then Jesus, standing as the representative of God on earth, bore his father's reproach. The reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen upon me. Jesus represented the cause of God. Wicked men stand for the cause of man against God. Jesus defended the honor of God. Wicked men sought the honor of men. Jesus maintained the righteousness and justice of God. They exalted themselves in self-righteousness against the living God. Jesus came to destroy the temple of man, that temple that man loves. And Jesus came to build the temple of God, which they hate and defile. And they reproach him for it all. And we reproached him for it. Jesus endured all these reproaches because he is God. But then second, why also all these reproaches that Jesus suffers? Second, as I've already mentioned, because Jesus is bearing our reproach. That's the uniqueness of Jesus, beloved. Jesus represents God before men, but Jesus also represents God's people before God. He's the one who's both God and man, and he bears the reproach from both points of view. And as Jesus is our head and representative and surety, he bears our reproach. He is the one who must make the satisfaction for our sins. He is the one who became sin for us. He is the one who is born under the curse of the law for our sakes. And all this mockery, all this reproach is the reproach of hell. And in suffering the mockery of hell, Jesus is being punished for the sins for the, bearing the punishment our sins deserved and making the payment. And what Jesus is suffering in all these reproaches is shame. He is clothed with shame. And that's the shame we deserve to experience and suffer because of our sins. And Jesus is bearing it for us all his life long. All these reproaches... That's exactly what is due unto us for our unspeakable arrogance in trying to make ourselves equal with God. Man in his sin has tried to exalt himself against God. The first Adam in his sin puffed himself up as proud and arrogant and all mankind with him. And as punishment for sin, man must experience utter humiliation. And all these reproaches, all this shame that Jesus bears is part of that humiliation that Jesus suffers as our mediator, as the second Adam. And what I must emphasize, beloved, is this. Jesus bore it all. He bore all our reproach. And that's why he held his peace. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He bore it. He took it. He was full of heaviness. He looked for some to take pity, but there was none. He looked for comforters, and there was none, and he bore it. Our reproaches, he bore. The reproaches our sins deserved, he bore. The heartbreak, the heart-crushing agony and suffering that we deserve for our sins, he bore that heartbreak for us. If I may put it this way, he substituted not only his body for us, not only his soul for us, but he substituted his heart for us. And he put forth his heart to be broken in exactly this way so that yes, we do still experience heartbrokenness to a certain degree. But we don't experience this. We don't experience this utter heartbrokenness that Jesus experienced. Even that heartbrokenness that Jesus experienced in the midst of the darkness when he cried out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He bore it all. And then you know what? He also rose again from the dead. He endured the shame. And he made a way of escape. And he made a way out. A way out of hell. And all who call upon his name. Hear ye this evening, all who call upon His name, and look to Him as their substitute and their Savior, find in Him a full salvation from the reproaches and shame of sin. And for us who believe in Him, instead of looking ahead to an eternity of humiliation, an eternity of being crushed under the crushing burden of shame and rejection, We instead look ahead to an eternity of glory, an eternity of exaltation, being lifted up to heights of unspeakable bliss, glory, beauty, and peace. That's what he has done for us. And if I may add this, the question may still be out there, why do we yet in this world still suffer reproach? And, and to one degree or another, why do we yet have to suffer, suffer shame? Why do we sometimes experience what it is to have a broken heart? Because we've experienced it. Why still this suffering for us? Well, yes, partly to cause us to look ahead to glory. But also this. Even to cause us to appreciate those sufferings of Jesus with a more heightened awareness. So that we might in a certain sense enter into a deeper understanding of our Savior's sufferings. And in that way experience even a deeper understanding of His love for us. And experience that deeper bond with our Savior. You know this by experience how true that is. That those who go through some of the deepest heartbreak that can be experienced in this life. And through it, they are brought, as a Christian, into a more intimate relationship with Jesus. There's something that's changed. There's something deeper they now have in their relationship with Jesus. There is that kinship, that sense of, that sense of identity, that bond. Because, because we've entered into a sense of those sufferings. We've been in the fires with the Son of God. And even through that experience, our relationship with Him is strengthened. We've been able to experience, to to plumb a little bit of these depths of Jesus' broken heart. And there's a closeness that forms there between the child of God and Jesus. They come to understand more deeply that Jesus does understand them. Because he's been there and he's been further. And they come to understand just how deeply Jesus' love for them really goes. Because he did all this suffering freely and willingly for them. And that brings us into the third point of the sermon. What is the great comfort? What is the great comfort of seeing this broken heart of Jesus? First of all, I have two things. First of all, the comfort is this child of God, you have a Savior who understands. There are some, perhaps many of us, who have had shame poured upon us from others there are some who know what it is to bear reproach. Indeed, as Christians who confess the name of Jesus Christ, we know what it is to enter into the fellowship of Jesus' reproach. Because the servant is not greater than his master. But the glorious difference between Jesus and us is this. Jesus looked for some to take pity. And there was none. But with you and me, beloved, there is someone who takes pity. Namely, Jesus himself. Sometimes we feel that there's no one who understands. There's no one who pities us. No one who's actually listening to what we are saying. People are too busy judging to actually listen. We're all prone to it. People are too busy concerned about themselves than actually listening to what you are communicating to them. Sadly, we even find this in the church. People are too busy judging than actually listening. Jesus understands, beloved. Jesus listens. Jesus knows. And Jesus has pity. Your shame, your sorrow, the insults, the mockery, the piercing words that pierce with poison into the depths of your heart, the hurt, the grief, the horrible memories, the broken heart. Jesus understands. And Jesus knows what shame is. So many people think they know your shame. They judge you through and through. Your broken heart maybe even causes you to struggle with your Christian walk. And people maybe even in church reproach you for it because you're not as good as a Christian as they are. Jesus understands. He understands where you are. And believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't condemn you. Because he already bore the reproach that should have fallen upon you, exactly so that you might not be condemned. He bore that reproach so that instead he might take you to himself and cause you to know his love. And he didn't have to bear those reproaches, but he did it willingly. To show you, in part to show you, you have a Savior who understands. You do. And second of all, the comfort is this. As I already said, Jesus took your shame upon himself. Every single shame you deserve for your sin, your weakness, your failing, your iniquities, whatever you want to call it, Every shame you deserve, he took it upon himself. And he bore your punishment. Believer, believer, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus bore that punishment of the deepest reproach and pains of hell for you. And even every single shame you still experience through this valley of tears, the shame that others put on you, In his sovereignty, God, through Jesus, uses it to bring you into a closer relationship with him so that you might, as his precious child, be brought to understand more intelligently what he went through for you and how great his unchanging love is for you that you might see Him and be comforted by His love for you, even through those reproaches. And what's in store for us in the future? Again, not shame, not reproaches, but glory. Obtained for us through the shed blood of Jesus. And the shame we experience now, just as Jesus did it, right? Seeing the joy that was before him, he despised the shame. And he bore it and he took it, knowing what was ahead of him. So, it's same with us. The shame we experience now, is to be despised compared to the glory that is in store for us in heaven. This is a glimpse into the heart of Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. See the glory of your Savior, beloved. See the wonder of his salvation. See his love for you. And bless his name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we love to see Jesus. And thy word is a glorious depth of comfort and wonder. We thank thee for it all. Truly, may our sight of Jesus shape our hearts and direct our thoughts in the way that they should be directed and guided. And use this preaching to that end, to the glory of thy name. We bless thy name in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.